Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. We've been talking about our parents a little bit. What's a lesson you've taken from your mom? What's a lesson you've taken from your dad? Lesson. I see, I see certain traits in me, like positive traits that have carried on. My mom is wonderful at being thoughtful and intentional in interactions with others. Um, and she's a fabulous gift giver. And I pride myself on that as well, like being able to um, purchase or create or even, you know, make hand make really thoughtful gifts. You know, and so, you know, she was codependent on my father. So it's like, you know, I, I pulled those traits from her as well. And I've had to work through that. But those are the positive traits that I've gotten from her. And then my dad was a fabulous entrepreneur. And he had excellent social skills, as most narcissists do. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I picked up on how to communicate and how to be a self-starter and how to have discipline. My work ethic came from him. So I'm grateful for all those things as well. Are you like me? I'm a big believer that my work ethic has really helped to save my life. Wow. I never thought of it that way, but Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I've had plenty of dark moments, um, you know, feeling suicidal and ready to get the heck out of here. And, you know, long standing period with cutting, you know. And yeah, I, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that's a beautiful perspective in that, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not. not no, I'm not giving up, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm too much of a badass to give yeah. up. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I think the work serves as a stabilizer for what we're going through, even when it's hard, even when it's a little messy and imperfect, or we're not working in the right work environments. Like it, it always acted as a stabilizer. Um, it's part of why I'm worried about this anti-work movement. That's kind of pushing through the country of like, oh, everything's so expensive corporations are terrible. Why should I even try? It's like, oh, for so many reasons, (laughs) for so many reasons you should try. You really should because you don't know where it's going to take you. You don't know what it's going to teach you. And all that struggle and difficulty, it does have value. And I I don't think there's a way to get to the other side without going through. One more that just popped in my head that came from my mom. My mom had all these like little sayings (laughs) and she would always say, 
But one has really stuck with me. She she would always say, if you want to be an eagle, you've got to soar with the eagles. And she would always tell me that because I was always hanging out with like the bad kids in school or whatever. Like <laughs> but it's followed me. And it's like, really, you really do have to think about who you surround yourself with. And I really enjoy putting myself in spaces where I'm not the expert and I'm able to just keep learning. I love learning. I'm a lifelong learner mm-hmm. and um, I don't like being the biggest fish in my pond. You know, like, I mean, there is a time and a space for that. And I also think it's important to reach out and find spaces where you're not the biggest fish. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So like a value system of expansion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's good. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So if I answer like, what's a lesson I've taken from my mom and dad, I think one of the lessons that I've taken is to be intentional. Um, my biological parents, I think, moved through life very haphazardly. And I could see the willy-nilliness of that, that they kind of just, it's almost like being a pinball, like in a pinball machine of just like whatever happens. It's almost like you're powerless and just life is going to like shove you wherever it shoves you. And I didn't want to be shoved that way. Like I wanted to walk intentionally toward things. Mm. I do think that's a lesson that they gave me. And I, I also can say that like from my mom, I get my love of words and reading. She was an avid reader. And while I was raised in a very restrictive, um, authoritarian everything is kind of bad and no kind of way because her mother, my grandmother was, she had a master's degree in library science. She owned a bookstore. We were allowed to read whatever. There was no restriction on reading. And so I was reading wildly inappropriate things very, very young. And I love that. Like I needed that. Like I'm always encouraging parents, like don't, don't restrict, like there's information out there. And if your kid is a reader, like they're going to go towards what they're interested in. Um, and a lot of those things that were deemed like inappropriate were kind of exactly what I needed handling things in my life that I shouldn't have been handling either. So it's not as simple as something being, I think, appropriate or inappropriate in the reading realm, um, being able to read things where other people were really screwed up <laughs> was very helpful to me. And my father who, who abandoned I think there's a lot of loyalty that runs through me um, for myself with my inner child and, and for the people that I let into my front row, my, my inner circle people. There's a deep loyalty, a deep connection, a deep kind of familial bond. So a lot of what I think I take from them is a definition of family that is beyond blood relationship. I really believe in chosen family. Yeah. Where do you draw the line between self-discipline to follow through and get things done? 
versus having compassionate flexibility. Ooh. Where do I draw the line? Say that again. Where do I draw the line? Between self-discipline to follow through. And we're talking about work ethic. Mm -hmm. Versus compassionate flexibility. Where do I draw the line? Okay, I'm trying to think of how to answer that. I think the structure of having, like I definitely have a calendar that's more like a counselor and less like a coach. And that means a nine o'clock session. Uh, We scheduled this meeting to do this recording. We record the podcast every Tuesday. For me, it has to be the structure of my week And then every other thing, time and space that isn't structure, I invite flex. Mm. So flex is a word that's on my mind a lot. I also have chronic pain, a lot of chronic pain that impedes my work. So I've had to do a lot of work to be at peace with the expectations of my work ethic versus the balance of what my body needs in that moment. And, And finding that balance in a way that doesn't allow my chronic pain to be an excuse. I do believe that this sort of relating to myself is an art form. And I think it's everybody's job, if you will, to figure out what is the art form for themselves, what actually works for them. And you, you can't do art the way the other person does art. Like you can learn from them. You can get, get inspired by their art but you can't do it exactly like them. You can take elements of what they do or their technique, but it has to be your own art form. And so for me, there's, there's been an art form and there are weeks where that's frustrating. You know, so I think it's a combination of all of my work that in the times where I need more flex and I'm less productive, not letting the critical voice come in and kick my ass and trusting that this is just a season and I will have another season shortly following this of super productivity. One of my mantras, if you will, is things don't happen at the speed of my awesome ideas. Mm, I love that. (laughs) I say that a lot. Things do not happen at the speed of my awesome ideas because for me, it's, it's the permission to keep dreaming the ideas without the pressure to make them happen. So it's letting go of pressure. I think that's another way that I balance if I'm answering your question. So pulling back from pressure or shoulding. And so a lot of allowing in my process, meeting myself in the moment. If I feel my jaw spasming, that's where I have a lot of my chronic pain. Sometimes that's what I need to push through. And sometimes it's, I need to ease up and I can only evaluate that in the moment based on so many different factors, but it's, it's evaluating it with ease and not pressure with kindness and not criticalness with, I think, confidence and self-assuredness, not a whiny complaining anger at my pain. Cause my body doesn't need that. That's not fair. I didn't want this pain. I didn't even create this pain. This pain is here. And I'm I'm sort of in the ways that I'm powerless against it, I'm powerless against it. So there's a lot of surrender, I think, within that balance. Yes. How do you balance that? 
it took me a while to figure my art form as well, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, I think for a long time, I was just learning to actually have the discipline. Like that was kind of the first step was just to get the foundation of the discipline. But once I got the discipline, I found myself getting really like annoyed or irritated when things would come into my reality or sphere that made me change my discipline or my structure, you know? So it was learning about, you know, how to focus on what I can control versus what I can't control Mm -hmm. and bring in that flexibility, that compassionate flexibility. Um, I think you said like what I, what I'm powerless over versus not similar, you know, it's like knowing, okay, like it's all good. This, this was my set intention while at the same time, something has happened in my sphere that was outside my control. So we're just going <laughs> to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like the way that you're answering that gets at the energy of that. Cause I, I think a lot of people try to balance and and they kind of get like the words right or the concept right, but it's it's more the energy that you're bringing to that, isn't it? Isn't that what we're both saying? Yes, I love that you added the word surrender. So it's a, good. It, yeah, it's a it's a really big, powerful word, and I I think so many highly sensitive people fight surrender. They fight surrender, like surrender. We think it's giving up. We think it's quitting, or we think we should fight. And if we've been in a nervous system fight most of our lives, it can feel really backwards to have something not go my way and just flow with that. Oh, I was about to say, it's just floating downstream. It's allowing yourself to stop like using the oars and trying to paddle upstream. Just like let yourself float. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and I think humor, I think humor is a big part of that too. There's lots of times where I just kind of put my hands up and look up at the universe and go, oh, okay. So I'm realizing I had an expectation that this would go a certain way and it's not going to happen based on my expectation. Thanks for that lesson, universe. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And just kind of <laughs> laugh at myself. Like, yeah, that, that's how easily an expectation can grow of just how the day is going to go. And our ego gets involved, right? I should be able to plan my day the way I want. <laughs> It's like laughing at my own ego. It's like, oh, look at her. Yeah, she thought she was going to get her way today and she's not. Maybe another day, sweetheart. You know, it's it's, it's just working at that level, even if you have to fake that. Because when I first started doing that, I think there was way more bitterness behind that, (laughs) a little more pissiness. And if you keep practicing, you you get to a place where it actually really is light and easy and you flow. I think I used to make when, when my day wouldn't go the way I wanted, I would make that a mountain. I would Mm. make it a mountain instead of going, this is a speed bump. Let me let this be a speed bump. All right. Bump. And just learn to go over it with a little more fluidity than resistance. Like we don't get our way so often in this life. That's what I mean by this stuff, not being rocket science. It's like, we know that but we don't know that <laughs> like we, we need to know that, that it's, you know, it's, it's a co-creation. It, it's going to go my way some of the time, sometimes maybe, but 
it's a, it's often not. And sometimes it's going to go better. And I think that's what we don't know when we grew up with struggle. We're, yeah. we're so bracing for how it's going to go shitty instead of how yes. it might go actually better than we could have imagined. When we allow that surrender. Because <laughs> if we make it that mountain, then the rest of the day is going to keep feeling challenging too. Because we're we're co-creating, we're bringing that challenging energy, mm-hmm. and such a self-sabotage, and such yes. a hard thing, I think, to realize on your own. Like really, like that's a hard thing to be in it, or to just read a book and realize how you're self-sabotaging. I think that's part of why, since a small child, and and definitely as an adult, I've I've chosen to always be working with someone. Because they see what I can't see, you know, just because That's- our eyeballs look outward, y'all like, like we don't see ourselves, even the most mindful and aware people, like we can't see all of it ourselves. We need that feedback. Yes, yes, exactly. That Eagles thing again, it's like, I do so much better when I'm working with someone, when I have a coach too, when I have a mentor. Okay. So my next question is. Can you name or share about someone who made a really big impact on you that isn't a family member? Sure. Who do I want to choose? <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, you did. <laughs> I was not fishing for that. <laughs> I, I know you weren't. <laughs> okay. I mean, you just believed in me when nobody did before. Like, really? I mean, I met you in the thick of the relationship that I had that was the most abusive. And I mean, you know, I just, ah, just like you were my rock. Like you were my, you were my landing pad, my safe landing pad. And you didn't pry too much all the while. I'm sure you knew what was going on, like more of the extent, because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like totally transparent to the extent of what was going on. Um, But it was really, really bad. And I was off and on in that relationship for seven years. So just, um, and you know, I wasn't, you know, I was not financially sound at the time and you took a chance on me and I just, I'm just forever grateful. That's going to make me cry. (laughs) I think that's kind of the secret when you find people that how can I say it? You know, that whole like soulmate conversation, how it it kind of is always seen through the lens of romance. And I'm someone who's married to a soulmate for sure. So I have that piece. Didn't know if I ever would, but I do. But I've had so many more relationships that have been soul level that have absolutely nothing to do with romance and they've healed my life and changed my life. And I know that when, when I met my healer, one of the most powerful things she would say to me was, 
well, I can believe in you until you can believe in yourself. And the first few times she said that to me, I was like, this lady's nuts. I was, <laughs> I was like, why would she believe in me? Like, I could not figure out what she was seeing. I was like, I am a fucking mess. Why would she believe in me? And it, and it took so long for me to start seeing, oh, I can believe in myself too. I think that's such a piece that, that when we're in this sort of, it's beyond counseling, it's beyond coaching, it's beyond social work. It's, it is a mentorship. It is a soul care relationship. And I don't know what the magic is that, that brings us together, but I know it with, with my clients, the people that come in because they, they resonate with me. And I I know that as people get to know you, you're going to feel that and sense that, that there's just something that goes, maybe this person could help me figure myself out. And when you feel that kind of being seen in, in your possibility, when you can't see the possibility in yourself, oh, it's choking me up. I think there are few stronger, more powerful gifts that we could give each other than that. So Lisa gave that to me. It hits me in my heart. I gave some of that to you. Now you're going to give some of that to other people. <laughs> I uh, yeah. so love the flow of this work. Such It's such an honor to get to be here in this space. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful in the now and in excited anticipation of what's to come. <laughs> How about you? That was, that was Lisa for you or. It was Lisa for me in a lot of ways in a spiritual mother way. Um, my friend and colleague who is also a therapist, I refer to a lot, um, like a brother kind of soul connection for me is my friend, Troy. Um, I don't believe I would have met my husband, Chris without Troy's influence. Um, he was just so strong for me. And that when I went through my second divorce and I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to give up on this whole trying to be in a relationship thing, which is exactly where you're supposed to be (laughs) post-divorce. You're not supposed to jump out of the divorce and be like, yeah, I'm ready to do this shit again. Sign me up. Like there's a process. Right. And he would just say to me, you have so much love in you to give, please don't shut that down. Like when I wanted to shut it down the most. I gotta go. Damn it. You're right. Being all right while I'm in pain. (laughs) And I do believe that for me, having not really, other than my grandfather, who has been dead since I was 17, I needed safe men in my life to show me really what a safe man was. I'm attracted to, to men. I'm straight. So I think until you can feel that kind of safety, when that has been such a violation, you don't really know what it is. It's the same reason I I work to bring empaths together because they're looking for other empaths. And even though we're empaths, we, we don't know 
what we're really looking for until we get in a room full of empaths and start seeing the similarities together and realizing, oh, holy shit, we've never been in the room together. It's always been 80% of the population. We're only 20%. We've never been the majority in a room. And when you make it the majority in a room, it's one of my favorite things that I have ever held space for, for other people is watching people go, oh, that's a trait I possess. Oh, that's a way of being I possess. Oh, that's a way of speaking. That's how I move through the world. Oh, that's some, oh, I'm not a freak. Uh, oh. And so I, I think sharing and, and knowing each other is such an important piece. So there's Troy and then, and there's my clients, like the greatest teachers in my life really have been my clients. Really, really. They're showing me their heart, their compassion, their strength, their resiliency, their sense of humor just the things that they can accomplish. Like it just, I have been so amazed by the people I've known throughout my life. I'm, I'm so grateful. Yay. Okay. All right. Okay. My next one is an easy breezy one. Okay. What's your favorite kind of music and why? I have lots of different kinds of favorite music that I kind of go in and out of like lots of different genres, but if I had to boil it down to one, some good old New Orleans funk. I mean, I love <laughs> me some funky meters. I really do. I like, I, I like a, I like a, a dirty kind of bluesy beat. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Showing your roots. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I'm from the dirty South. Like I, you know, I, I have that affinity too, but like, I like that, that bluesy kind of what is the, the, the organ like shows up in a lot of new Orleans music. I like that, that kind of sound just does it for me. Like my DNA likes that sound. I think I love it. What about you? <laughs> for me lately? I mean, I've got other things that I go in and out of as well, but for me lately, I'm really enjoying tropical house, which is like, <laughs> it's like, Kind of like electronic, happy, tropical, feeling like you're on a beach kind of music. <laughs> Ooh. All right. You're going to have yeah. to send me a recommendation for like a song. Like okay. That. I don't, I we'll, totally will. We'll and I'm going to send the you the movies too. The Yay! movie list and the songs. <laughs> Yay. All right. Let's see. All right. So here's my question. How do your intuitive abilities show up? personally and professionally? Like what do your empath qualities feel like to you? Oh, what do they feel like? This took a really long time to learn for me. Um, it feels like a certain kind of pull in my gut, like it right where actually a little bit higher than my belly button. Um, it's like, it's like right at my like waistline, right? Where okay. like the smallest part of my, of my waist is mm -hmm. right in the center under my sternum. So if it's, if it's an intuitive pull, like it's like, it's a good thing. Like it's a positive thing. It's helpful for me. I'll feel pulled there. Like toward? Toward. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if it's a, uh-uh then I'll feel it lower, like oh. under my belly button. And it's kind of like a churning feeling, like, a, uh, like 
it's like, I know you want it to be higher, <laughs> you know, because sometimes it's like, I'm, I'm drawn to something that is not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be like my internal body will be like, I know you want it to be higher, but yo, it's down here. It's like, this is not good for you. Um, and I'm like, Oh, but I really want, uh, uh-uh. it's so, yeah, it's, it's, really dropping into, okay, where is this in my chakra centers? Where is this landing? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mine is similar in my gut area, but I would describe it differently. I wouldn't describe it for me as like a higher or a lower. That's so fascinating to hear you say, but it's more like, like a yes kind of like turns or tilts upward and a no kind of goes down like a, like a lower, no, like you're like your voice getting deeper. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's almost like I can feel my gut have like a higher pitch voice. Like, yeah. Or that low, <laughs> no, oh, no, <laughs> just gets like really, really low and same. And I, and I think most people who are listening to emotional badass are trying to figure out that difference between their intuition and their anxiety. And when you start to really get a handle on that and start to practice and start to really listen, it has been one of the most fascinating things in my whole life to allow myself to be more gut driven than head driven. Yes. And it also took a lot of, um, like a willingness to look back and say, okay, how was I feeling in that moment? I'm very much a feeler. I always have been. And, but I think I was drawn to being more heady with my decisions because that's what I was taught to be. You know, my dad was like, well, did you think that through? That's not very smart. You know, like that kind of thing. It's like, no, I didn't. I just felt my way, (laughs) you know, but I would also feel my way just thinking that that's what I wanted. And it's like, no, I didn't really know that that pull was a no instead of a yes. I was just going by pull. I think that's what most people get taught, even in a very healthy dynamic with parents. I, we, I think we're a society that overvalues thinking. It's like information, information, information. <laughs> yeah. I think that's part of why people like the podcast is because I'm, I'm, I'm trying really to not give you information for the sake of information, because Mm -hmm. I see so many people who show up to me going, Nikki, I have all the information. I'm like, yeah, you do. You could have like three PhDs in this. Yeah. But you don't feel how you want to feel. It's because it doesn't come from the information part. It's like, we can't heal ourselves through the information alone. We have to figure out how to integrate that information. And for some reason, the human tribe has struggled to acknowledge that or to own that in, in for the power that it is. It's also personality type, right? Like I have the F in my Myers-Briggs, the feeler. When I got together with my husband, like he's got the T, he's a thinker. So if anybody like had, like was a fly on the wall watching us discuss things like how to manage like money in our household, 
He comes from this thinking part. If we're going to have an argument, it's because he's going, these are the thoughts. These are the thoughts about it. I'm like, yes. And my feelings are this. And you can't argue the difference between feelings and thoughts. And so we've had to really learn how to negotiate and not make one way wrong or right and kind of come together. But yeah. So for feelers, yeah, we feel our way through. Totally. Yep. That's definitely me. I did a Myers-Briggs and I cannot remember what my what my results were, but I'll let you know when I find those. <laughs> I do it every couple of years. And the older that I've gotten, I think because I've gotten more secure, so it shows up differently, I score less introversion and more extroverted. I'm still introverted. Oh, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But everything else always sticks and stays the same. I'm an INFJ. Yeah, I'll be curious. I'll, I'll be surprised if how different or similar to that you are. Yeah, me too. Okay. I'll update you when I find it. It's somewhere in my email, but I should probably do it again. Yeah, it'll be a kick. I get clients to do it sometimes. It's it's a good, solid way to conceptualize yourself or see how you're different over time. Like a cool thing to kind of check in on every like five years or so. All right. What's your next question? What is your process for encouraging innovative ideas and how do you keep coming up with new ideas for the podcast? Oh my God. I probably have a list of close to 500 ideas for the podcast. Now, some of them are probably redundant and it's more like a brainstorming list. Um, That was one of the questions Chris had for me when we started it was like, well, is there enough content to continuously do a podcast? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> enough content. Um, I am an idea person. I, if anything, I have to manage having way too many ideas. I am like truly a creative. Oh, so what is my process? I sit with myself and I meditate on what topic is needed at what time I consider, I keep a full caseload. I consider in the past week, what are some themes that I've heard from my clients? Because everybody who shows up to somebody like me, they have no idea or reference of what the hell everybody else is saying. So it's even made me believe in astrology more because I can see having a full practice over the years. There are just certain weeks where it's like all of a sudden everybody's having a hard time. Or all of a sudden, that. everybody's having a great time. I'm like, this this makes no logical sense. You know, none of my clinical colleagues would believe me about this, but it's really true. So I try to kind of tap into that energy. Um, I will ask the universe, like, help me with this. Um, I try to find a balance between <sighs> challenging myself, but not overly challenging myself. Um I definitely feel stress watching what's happening in the world. I feel like it's happening so fast that sometimes I can't even get a chance to sort of form my idea on a topic before the topic just gets crazier and crazier. Um, Gender is one of those topics. Um, um, What's going on with, um, I, I know so many young kids that are changing their names. You know, 
that's interesting. Like that's, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it sure is interesting. So I want to challenge myself, but I also don't want to like throw a bomb at the mob on the internet that will come and like dox people and (laughs) get really vicious. So finding a balance between speaking my own personal truth when I'm sharing a story, but also trying to say the, the, the hard things that are a challenge for me to say how I say it, how it's received. It's a balance being a recovering people pleaser of, I try to say things in a way that helps maximize how many people can receive the challenge. I'm cognizant of that without taking on if somebody gets upset and basically says in their mind, screw Nikki, I'm never listening to her again. And then, you know, goes away. I'm, I, I, and I think it's an impossible line to walk. And so I try to give myself grace. I also believe in kind of like the onion, but I, I think of it as layers. It's not just what I'm saying or the words It's how I'm saying it, the way that I'm saying it, the energy that's behind it, the humor or the seriousness that I'm using. I think it's a, it's almost like a frequency that I'm trying to get on. Frequency of innovation and creativity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I also try to not just do anything for the sake of doing it. Like I know there are times like Will Smith just smacked Chris Rock, right? Like I know that there are times that I could say something valuable and address it, but it feels a little like cheap to me. Like I think that's how a lot of people build their audiences is they, they get on those like trendy things. And so for me, it's a real line to walk about meeting people where, where they are and what's going on, but like not, not cheapening what I'm doing by trying to jump on that for the sake of getting attention to the show. What about you? Cause you're a highly creative person. Like how do you, how do you keep creating? Uh, for me, it's, it's really important to give myself time to play and allow that space. That's usually when my new ideas come in. <laughs> When I'm free, when I've given myself the free time to play and be free and not be in the midst of, you know, focusing on this like work ethic, you know, when I'm playing is usually when that creativity comes in. Um, I also have a long running notepad of ideas just in my phone, like in a note section of my phone. (laughs) And I keep pads of paper everywhere. (laughs) So there's like one on my bedside and there's one right here. And it's like, it's just, um, I also have a giant whiteboard that's right in front of me on my office. So I can just like chicken scratch. (laughs) Nice. I think that's a big part for creatives is just like constantly allowing it to flow out and sort of like the, the cream rises to the top. And there's a lot that I dump out that (laughs) nobody's ever going to see, but you know, you can start to see like how the, how the cream sort of rises to the top. (laughs) We're going to have to split this one into like three episodes. I think. All right. I'm going to 